Welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a certified personal trainer, high altitude mountaineer, and ultra runner. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like a mountaineer so you can boost your chances of reaching the summit. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, mountain climbing will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Do you dream of climbing a mountain, but worry that it's impossible because you live in Florida or Minnesota or Bangkok or some other super flat place? Do you think that the only way to get in shape for mountain adventures is to spend eight hours a day on the Stairmaster? Friend, if you're dreaming your high alpine dreams at sea level, stay tuned because in today's podcast, I'm going to share three words that will change your life and empower you to train for every adventure you've ever dreamed of. Ready? Let's do this. Today's episode is brought to you by my course, Mountain Fit, Self-Coaching for Mountain Athletes. So congratulations, you've signed up for a mountaineering trip or a long distance trek. Now, how the French toast do you get in shape for it? You could hire a coach to help you, but the ones who actually understand our sport are so damn expensive. And even if you get a good one, no coach is ever going to understand your lifestyle, your schedule, and your body the way that you do. The truth is you will always be your own best coach. You just need to know what to do and when to do it. That's why I created Mountain Fit. This online masterclass is the roadmap you've been looking for to help you reach your fitness goals. In this course, I walk you step-by-step through everything you need to transform yourself into a diesel-powered hiking machine, even if you're starting from absolute zero. By the end, you'll know how to assess your fitness level, write a training plan that gets results, and choose the best exercises for your goals. And if you need a starting point, I've included 40 weeks, that's 40 weeks, of training plans you can adapt for your own season. So stop wasting thousands of dollars on Tracy, the big box gym trainer who has never hiked a day in her life. Learn how to train yourself with Mountain Fit. To check it out, just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you in there. Hey friends, how you doing? I am awesome. I am sitting in my condo that didn't burn down last week. I know on the last episode, I was a little bit worried about the inauguration and we still have a day to go. There could still be trouble, I guess, but everything's looking very promising so far for a safe, a peaceful transition of power, at least here in Denver. Yeah, I am recording this podcast a little later than my normal time, so hopefully I don't sound too tired. I actually had a full day at work, and then before that, did my very first VO2 max workout for my new ultra marathon training program, which I'll talk a little bit about in this episode. But yeah, it really kicked my butt. I did six two-minute hill repeats up a very steep hill, and really at the top, I thought I was going to die. I literally don't think I could have done another one, which is the point. That's the way it's supposed to be done. But yeah, feeling a little tired, drinking some coffee, pretending like I'm talking to my cat while I'm doing this podcast. So hopefully it sounds all enthusiastic and sociable, even though I'm just sitting in my living room. So what are we talking about today? I actually made a big promise to you. I have three words that are going to change your training life. This is especially true if you're one of those folks that is training at sea level. And as I'm recording this podcast, I actually have a person in mind. So my friend Laura, Lala is her nickname. 
She is going through something like this right now. She is a very accomplished mountaineer, rock climber, adventurer. We met here in Colorado. We've been friends for a couple of years. And if you know anything about Lala, she has a dog that is her life. She's pretty young. She's in her 20s. But this dog is like, she loves it like a family member, treats it like a kid. Her and her dog have been through quite a bit together. Her dog was actually bitten by a rattlesnake out on trail and they had to be rushed to the hospital. So they have all these stories together, all this bonding. And earlier this year, kind of around the start of the pandemic, her dog started to have some health problems. The dog really couldn't be left alone at home for more than a couple of hours. And, you know, you guys are adventurers. You know, we go out for hours and hours all day. And she really wasn't able to do that because she didn't have someone to be with a dog. So made the really hard decision to move to Florida (laughs) to be with family, to have some respite care for the dog. Um, Her mom and dad love the dog, can help her take care of it. But what a hard, hard decision. So she is currently training for Mount Baker in Florida, where it's hot, where it's flat. And I know so many of you can relate to the struggle of this. I think in our Facebook group, this is the number one question that comes up. Like I live in a place like Texas or Florida or Minneapolis or someplace flat, even in another country. Like what is the best way to train for it? And I also know that a lot of you are discouraged by this. You're like, I I have a dream of climbing Mount Rainier, Kilimanjaro, whatever the mountain is. And I live somewhere so flat, so hot, so horrible, so sticky. I don't know that there's a way for me to possibly get in that kind of shape. So for those of you who are feeling this way, I always kind of struggle with training people who are in this situation, giving them hope, telling them what to do. I usually try to tell them it's possible, but it's going to be a grind, which is true. I really believe that there's going to be a lot of hill repeats, some stair climbing, things like that in your future. And we really, in many cases, go a little bit crazy trying to replicate that sport-specific experience, even if they're somewhere very, very flat. So I actually had an epiphany this weekend. Do you, have you ever had somebody tell you something that's maybe something really simple that just blows your mind and just blows up everything you know, changes your whole life, and then you want to run around and tell everyone you know, like, guys, guys, here's the answer. So I have those for you right now. I'm having one of those moments. So what happened? I am actually taking an ultramarathon coaching certification through USCA. And it's actually made in conjunction with Jason Coop, who's a very accomplished ultra runner and coach. And when you take the certification, you just get tons of videos of Jason talking. And he's so smart and he's so hopeful and matter of fact. And I'm just so in love with him. (laughs) I've had like so much fun, like going through this course and watching all the videos. But what happens in this course is and I think this happens in mountaineering too, is people get attached to all the shiny new things. They're like, oh, I live in Minneapolis. Maybe I should get like one of those high altitude simulation tents to sleep in. Or I've heard about fasted cardio. Could that be the answer for me? And they just start like going, going, going on all kind of the little details, the minutia. And Jason said this thing in the course that just blew my mind. He was talking specifically about people 
in the flatlands treating for mountain ultra marathons. And he said, there are so many things. There are so many tricks. Everyone's looking for a shortcut. Here's the thing, guys. Fitness always wins. Thunderclap, like three little words. If you can imagine like how hard I see some people and I've been in this situation just trying to replicate all the things, try all the tricks, like walking up and down millions of stairs, doing billions of hill repeats. And really the truth is it's that simple. If you're really, really, really freaking fit, you can pretty much go and do anything. And if you think about it, this makes intuitive sense. Like here in the United States, like we have tons and tons of people who have climbed at high altitude. Like we have lots of people that have climbed in the Himalayas. I've personally climbed up to almost 20,000 feet. There's nowhere, I guess unless you live by Denali or something, it's in your backyard, there's really no way for us to experience that before we go. We just have to get really, really fit, you know, maybe practice some things like with our nutrition, with our gear, with the environment. And really that's the best we can do. And in so many cases, that's enough. So instead of just going crazy, trying to figure out a shortcut, figure out all the things. I really want to talk today about what really works when we say fitness always wins. What does that mean for you? How can you really make sure that you're fit and kind of let all the rest, all the shiny objects, all the trendy things go? So before we dive in, I love to share stories of people that have trained successfully for just really hard, big events in the flatlands, and then maybe they've gone and done something amazing in the mountains. So I've talked in, on this podcast about Ernie Hampton, the American cyclist that won the Hero d'Italia, which is a really mountainous race, cycling stage race. And he trained for it in North Dakota by riding his bike up and down on the overpass. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you really need some inspiration and want to hear a little bit about that story. But today I'll share another one. I'm going to talk today about Casey Lichtig. She is an ultra runner. She is a runner who has won the Western States 100. This is a very, very difficult 100-mile foot race through the Sierra Nevadas. It ascends 15,000 feet. So, you know, those of you who have climbed a 14er, like she's starting at sea level, running to the top and running another 1,000 feet, then descends 23,000 feet. This is all up and down, not necessarily in one go, but it all adds up over 100 miles, right? This race is crazy. It has huge temperature range. It starts in the mountains. Maybe it's like 20 degrees when you start. It ends down in the Central Valley of California. It might be like 110 degrees. And so Casey, she not only won the woman's event in 2016, she actually set a third place course record that's men and women. So all time course record, third place. And here's the crazy thing, this amazing mountain athlete, she's from Omaha, Nebraska. And I just thought that, I don't know, like, I think we really glorify like what it's like to live in Colorado and train, live in Washington and train, like somewhere with mountains. We People think it's it's the perfect place. And here's what Casey says about being an ultra runner from the Midwest. She says, it can be challenging yet rewarding. We get to train in the four seasons, some of them being more brutal than others. We may not have the mountains or the oceans, but we have 
hills, and they can be just as hard to run on as the mountains. We have beautiful landscapes to explore. For example, the Great Plains and Sand Hills and Lust Hills, the pastures and farmlands. Honestly, who doesn't love being able to go out and run in the open roads and trails and feel free? It's really how you look at the big picture, how you can find happiness wherever you are. So isn't that beautiful? I'm going to start crying as I'm reading that. I cry pretty easily. I think you guys have probably noticed. But yeah, so I read a little bit about Casey's training. She actually, she runs a lot. She runs a lot of mileage, probably about 100 miles a week when she's training. But she really only gets per week 3,000 to 5,000 feet of elevation gain in Nebraska running on the hills. And then she goes to California and runs like 15,000 feet up. So it totally can be done, even if you don't have like this perfect mountain playground to do your training in. So before we talk about like fitness always wins and how to do it right, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that maybe aren't necessarily wrong, but maybe that people get overly focused on when they're training for a mountain adventure and they don't have a mountain. So some of the things I've heard people do, and like I said, these aren't necessarily wrong, but you can see how this would do your head in after a while. So one of them is a step up marathon. So, you know, the exercise, the step up where you step up, step down, step up, step down. I know people who have done this for like literally hours because maybe they couldn't get outside to do a training hike and they, they see it as very specific. So, I mean, is that a bad thing to do? If you have a really high tolerance for boredom and you want to do it once in a while, like I don't think it's bad, but can you see how it would probably be pretty unsustainable to train for Denali doing nothing but step ups, right? Another thing, one I have done is the endless stair game. When I lived in Bangkok and I was training for Kilimanjaro, instead of going to a gym and maybe doing some of the things I'll describe later, I was like, no, I'm going to make it all sports specific. So was walking up and down the stairs in my 18-story building. And if you've heard this story before, you know that the top few floors, they were under renovation. So the lights were out and there were some, this is Thailand, so there were some bats up there and the bats were making noise and they were pooping and once in a while they're flying. So I'm up there marching in the dark with my headlamp on the bat poop and it was just so miserable. And I look back now with everything I know, and I probably would have done it differently. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Some of the things that people are really fascinated with now are, especially if you're going to really high altitude, now they have things on the market where you can get a high altitude tent. And it's a little bit out of my expertise to talk about this. And I have someone in mind that I really want to bring on the podcast soon just to talk about high altitude simulation and just some of the benefits and limitations of that. But yeah, these tents are super, super expensive. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it takes about four weeks for your body to completely adapt to high altitude, like make all the physiological changes so that you would function as if you actually were there all the time. So you're not going to necessarily spend like four weeks straight in the tent. You're going to have to get a lot of those hours. Like how many hours are in four weeks? So many, right? And you're going to have to rack them all up while you're sleeping, which is going to take a long time. And the cost is that Imagine if you've ever tried to sleep up at like 10,000 feet, 12,000 feet, 15,000 feet. You know it's hard, especially at first. It takes a while to actually be able to sleep at all. 
I think in some of the high huts when we were down in Bolivia doing our trip, I, I don't think I slept for days. Like even after the, the summit day when I was really, really tired, it, it was very, very sporadic sleep because we just don't sleep well at altitude unless we're really, really acclimatized. So there is that that cost to trying to sleep in the tent. You may be changing your physiology over time, but your sleep is also interrupted. And, and over time that might even out, but you can see how maybe it's, it is a trade-off. It is a cost. And then the whole tent costs lots of money too. Things like masks, like what is it called? It's like an airway restricting mask that you can put on your face, go for a run, go for a climb. You might start to see people with those. They're becoming somewhat popular, supposed to help you get used to the feeling of being at high altitude. And it might do that. Those of us during COVID who have even run with a cloth mask on our face know, or climbed with a cloth mask on, know that it is kind of tough, right? But the thing about the mask is it's really not changing your physiology other than just kind of getting you used to that feeling like there's not as much air. So how well does that actually work? Hard to say. It might give you some psychological benefits, but it's not a magic bullet. Another thing people do when they really are worried about altitude is they go crazy trying to do these training hikes up high. Maybe they, if they're going to climb Mount Rainier, maybe they travel to Colorado first just so that they can get a chance to hike up to 14,000 feet. And what we don't know it's about like how people acclimatize, how long they hold it. But one thing that's probably for sure true is just going out for a few days or a week probably isn't enough to change your physiology in any meaningful way that you're going to take on to Mount Rainier. Again, I think there's lots of psychological benefits to going up to altitude, seeing what it feels like. It is harder, right? You don't feel as good. Eating is harder. So just being ready in your mind for all of that. So it's not a surprise on the gold trip, I think is useful. But thinking that traveling and doing like a trip and spending lots of money is necessary, it's really not. The benefit is a little bit marginal, probably. And then like the ultimate example of this is moving. <laughs> a lot of people really sacrifice a lot to move to a place that has mountains that they think that they're going to be able to train better. And I mean, the thing, I obviously did that. I moved to Colorado and I've talked on here about how that was such a good decision. But the thing to remember is life in Denver, life in Portland, life in Bend, Oregon, life in Leavenworth, Washington, it's still life. And you're still going to have a job. You're still going to maybe have a family, have a dog you have to take care of, have all the things. And Unless the trail is like literally like right out your back door, you still have to drive there. So, you know, is it nice to be able to once a week, twice a week, really get in that amazing training workout? Absolutely. Are we out every day for the most part? In, in a lot of places, no. Maybe if you live in a tiny little mountain town and yeah, then you're, you're kind of living the life. But otherwise, it just really is kind of a light version probably of what you do in Cleveland, Minneapolis, Austin, where Florida, wherever you are. So if all of these things are, have kind of a marginal benefit, what's going to give you the most bang for your buck? Whenever we say fitness always wins, like what the French toast does that mean? How can you use that? So the first suggestion I would make is that you divide your training into a base phase and then a specific phase. In the specific phase, I would make maybe eight to 12 weeks before you actually head out on your trip, depending on, on how hard your trip is, how much you're gonna prepare, how much you're gonna taper. 
And then everything that comes before is the base. So the specific phase, the phase that's closer to the trip, that is the time you maybe want to start doing some, if you're going on a mountaineering trip and it's flat, maybe start doing some stair climbing, running the stairs in a stadium, doing some hill repeats, doing some of those more grueling things that are going to prepare you for the actual event itself. But everything up until that in the base phase, I would say can be pretty nonspecific. So if you're climbing a mountain, maybe that means you're going to ride your bike in order to be fit. Maybe it means you're going to run. Maybe it means you're going to row. Whatever is available to you that's easy, that's enjoyable. If you think about it, that's going to be most of your training season, right? Like other than those 12 weeks, it's everything else, unless you do more than one trip. So So really, let the base phase be nonspecific. I think that that's just important for your mental health. Trying to get specific in the flatlands for mountain stuff, it becomes a grind, as we've talked about before. The other thing you're going to want to learn about is what are the priorities, the physiological changes, the big physiological changes that you need to make to be successful at your particular adventure? So For example, if you're doing a mountaineering trip up Mount Rainier and you're you're self-supported, so you're carrying like your 50, 60 pound pack, obviously strength training is going to be a huge part of that. Hiking up hills or stairs with a heavy, heavy pack is going to be a huge part of that. Contrast it with someone who's going to run a 100 mile ultra marathon, like a lot of their training is running. They're going to work on different energy systems, but ultimately they just have to be able to run really long distances. And one thing that's crazy I'm learning in Jason Coop's certification course is that a lot of ultra runners don't do any sort of strength training. Casey Lichty, she says she doesn't in that interview. So... I was like blown away. I'm like, really? Everyone has to do strength training. Everyone says, you know, but yeah, I mean, if it's not going to, and and not saying that it's bad for ultra runners, it's just a trade-off. That's time that you could be spent running. That's time you could be spent recovering. Arguably, those are probably going to move you closer to your goal than going to the gym and lifting. So just knowing what your sport demands and Really focusing on those areas, building them into your training plan is important and letting the rest go. If you need a resource for this, there's a really great book called The Outdoor Athlete. I'll link it in the show notes and they actually go through like cross country skiing and mountaineering, scrambling, mountain biking, trail running. And they they actually, at the start of each chapter, they go through what the priorities are. So and they rank them on a scale of one to five. So it's kind of fun to see how they see these two trainers that wrote the book, like lay your priorities out for you. Another huge priority, I think, is having fun. These training for these big adventures, it takes a long time. We talked in the last podcast, it takes about four months. It's kind of a a hero's journey almost. So it really must be fun. And I always like prioritize like doing something that's going to be fun over something that's like the perfect workout. So this weekend's a good example. I have a couple friends who want just want to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, do a pretty hike, look at a lake that's frozen and it's not necessarily like super sports specific for me as an ultra runner but of course I'm gonna do it because like if I just did nothing but running and was like sorry guys that's not in my program like I would have no friends and no life and it would just be very sad like can you imagine 
I think sometimes we get so focused on these goals. We start to believe it can't be fun. And we also kind of forget that these friends, these family members, these loved ones, they're going to love us like way long after the race is over and and just like continue just adding so much love and value to our lives. I feel like that that really is where the priority has to be and having fun has to be a priority. Another example of how this can work, I have a client who has an elliptical and I've been giving her workouts to do on her elliptical and I can tell she doesn't love it. (laughs) It's really funny. Like she lives in a really cold place and she'll have her her training hike assigned on the weekend and I'm always like, you know, if it's really, really brutal you can come in and do some of it on the elliptical. <laughs> she never does. Like it could be like 30 below and like a hurricane force wind. I really think she would go out and hike to stay off the elliptical. So she had contacted me last week and she's like, I'm thinking about getting a Peloton, the cycle. She comes from a cycling background, really enjoys cycling. And and she's like, I worry that it's not sports specific. And I'm like, honestly, do you like it? Will you do it? <laughs> I really think sometimes finding something that's sustainable for you that you enjoy is so much more important than doing the thing that's super specific. Honestly, the elliptical isn't super specific either. So this question does come up a lot. Can you use cycling to train for mountaineering, for trail running, for mountain adventures, if it's something you enjoy? And yeah, I would. If you can are going to have an easier time just getting out like lots of days a week, getting on the bike, especially outside your specific phase of training, definitely consider working in some cycling. And if it's not super specific, who cares? It's actually the research on cycling for running and hiking and foot-powered sports. It actually, there is quite a bit of transfer, especially with the cardio. So don't be afraid to work that in. But yeah, just another example of how Sometimes it's better to do something that's fun and sustainable than the perfect, most specific thing. So there you have it. Fitness always wins. Instead of like going crazy and trying to find like the magic bullet and throwing money at stuff, what if you just got like and focused on getting in really good shape, doing things you enjoy, you know, getting a bit more specific later in training to the extent that you can, but making it all fun, making it all something that's sustainable for your brain, and just let that be enough. Would that not be amazing? You would be able to go and do anything. The truth is, if you're in really good shape, and I've seen this happen, like you can go and I've seen runners that go and just do amazing, like high altitude mountaineering things, and they They've never like specifically trained for that or carried a heavy backpack, but they're they're in great shape. So that great shape counts for just about as more than anything else. And it just makes it so simple, right? Like if we can just say fitness always wins, I'm going to go get fit today. I'm going to move my body today. I'm going to do something that challenges me and makes me more fit. It's going to make the training so much easier, so much more fun. And it's just going to make you able to do all the things, everything. I promise you. So fitness always wins. That's my huge message. I'm going to just like, I don't know, (laughs) just start like throwing that in every episode. I'll be like, and then the lactate threshold in fitness always wins. So get ready for it. I'm really into this fitness always wins thing. So (laughs) I hope you enjoy that. I hope you feel as inspired as I did. And I will see you next week. Take care. 
Hey friend, if you're enjoying the pod, there are two simple and free ways you can show your support. First of all, please share this with a friend who might find it helpful. And second, please leave a review on iTunes. Your support means the world to me. Thanks so much for tuning in. 